Do you want your child to feel engaged, respected, and allowed to express themselves, showing off their natural gifts? Did you grow up in a home environment that fostered those things for you? What are you doing in your home to create this kind of space for your child? Let's explore some ways in which the setup of the rooms of your home can support natural development of gross and fine motor skills and promote concentration, independence, and self-expression. I'm Megan Iskander. And I'm Kate Mulliken. And this is Raising Reciprocity, where we believe raising children is a form of activism. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy New Year. We're so excited to be creating new podcasts for you this year. And we decided to focus on a series of podcasts that are about preparing your home to support your child's development. We're going to be doing a series of episodes, and each episode will focus on a different room. So we'll do one for your family or living room, one for your kitchen, one for the bathroom, and so on. And our hope is to give you lots of ideas to help you help your child be uh, independent and active participant in your household. And we see this as relative to preparing these children to grow up to be active participants in society and help our society move towards the changes that we want to see, like equity and peace. So please join us for this series of episodes that will be focused on each room in your home and how you can prepare it in order to support your child's development. All right, so we're so excited to get started today. Today we're going to be focusing on the living room or family room, whichever you consider it to be in your home, or maybe you have one of each, or maybe everything is in the same room, but we're going to give you some ideas about how to prepare your family room for your child's development. We're so excited to do this series about preparing your home in general. Absolutely. I mean, as the adult, you're the one in control of the setup of that house. And certainly you want to engage your child in what's age-appropriate work for them. I also love Montessori in that it gives some emphasis to helping children practice managing themselves independently so that their takeaway is a sense of confidence. And something that I love about the fact that we're going to work on the living room space here is that we're the living room is a shared space so you want it to reflect everybody who lives in the house and how do you do that in a way that's not only safe for the child but also comfortable and cozy so that your family values are reflected there so I'm excited to talk about this shared space within the home I think there's um, a lot of fun stuff you can do regardless of the size of that space I mean, sometimes if it's a smaller space, we might think of that as an obstacle. And yet, sometimes that's where some really creative stuff can happen. So beyond just, eventually we will get into specifics around some furniture um, that can be helpful to let your child feel very welcomed in that space and how you can work to reflect each individual in the home. But I want to encourage people to spend some time on this because... You can set up, you know, raising kids is really hard work. It can be super tiring. And yet there are ways that if we give some attention to the setup of our home, it can actually 
make things easier for your child and consequently for yourself, the adult. Yeah. I think, you know, preparing the environment is a way to kind of align your day-to-day practice of parenting with the vision that you had of what parenting would be like before you became a parent, you know, when you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be like coloring with the kids and we're going to do puzzles and we're going to, you know, play music and all of these things that you imagine are going to be these really like wholesome, meaningful moments as a family that can get easily swept away with the day in, day out, just mundane, practical, parts of our lives. So by preparing your environment with those things like puzzles and books and art or music or whatever, then it kind of gives you a way to stay on track with what you what your goals are for your intentions of how you want to spend your time with your family. So family room especially is like true for this. And so where should we begin? I guess maybe it is easiest to kind of get started by talking about some of the furniture that might be supportive of how to reflect the different individuals in the home and what the family values are, what activities you want to promote within that space. Why don't we start there? So if you think about a space that's cozy where people hang out, you're thinking about some kind of couch or chair likely. And so do you provide a chair or could you provide a a chair or a low couch or even maybe a beanbag chair, something like that, that depending on the age of your child, that they can have access to. I do want to mention that seat, that small chairs, if you, or if you are raising a really young person in your house, oftentimes are even taller than what your child might need if they are just a one or two-year-old. And um, you can tuck this away if it's helpful to you that you're looking for your child's feet to be able to be flat on the ground for them to truly be comfortable in that seat. So that's one little piece of information about furniture. Also thinking about shelving, right? And what's what's on those shelves? And how do you use the lower shelves for the younger child, the upper shelves for an older child? And are there trays or baskets that delineate specific activities that would help foster some, like you're giving your child some clues about where to return things when they're done with something. For older children, let's say the younger child's grabbing into everything, you know, maybe you use bins with uh, tight-fitting clasps that the older child can open. The younger child has more trouble accessing. And and so when I'm talking about shelves, I start to think about what is reflected in that space about what's important to your family. So are they full of books? Maybe you have kids of the age where you're playing a lot of board games and puzzles, and that's what's on the shelves. Maybe it's music. There's a way to set up, you know, whatever device it is you play music off of and rotate. I don't know. I live in a household where there's still a big record collection, and we have a record player, so, like, that's reflected in that space. But certainly that's not going to be true for everybody. Maybe your house is, you know, full of plants. How do you incorporate them in a way that it's not where – you know, the toddler is digging dirt out of the pot and making you nuts with that. How can you incorporate the care of the plants and the location of the plants so that it's a reflection of maybe your interest, you know, things like that. So you're considering not only how the space is used to promote the behaviors you want within that space, but also then considering how the child can participate in those activities in an appropriate way. 
Yeah. So whenever I am going to, well, especially when my children were young, they're 10 and 15 now, so I don't need to have the same vantage point quite anymore. But when they were in the first plane of development, like zero to six, I would kind of seasonally go through and revamp the environment. And you really do need to do that like maybe not seasonally. We have breaks every quarter. So I would just use my break time to do that. But I mean, definitely biannually because your child's growing and their needs and adaptations are changing. So you're going to need to adapt accordingly. But you know, if you just sit down on the floor in the room and look around and think about like, okay, there's three questions I ask. One, what do we do here? And not just the child, but also you and anyone else that's in the space. Like this will be a different conversation when we're talking about bedrooms or, you know, like when the space is more just for one person or two people, depending on if it's siblings sharing room or whatever. But, you know, in the family room, everyone should be represented. What does everybody do in this room? And then the second thing is how can they access these things? So if one of the things that my children do in the family room is read books, where are the books kept? Do I have space on the bottom shelf for their books that they could ask or, you know, access easily? Or do I have a basket on the floor? And then the third thing is how can they maintain the environment or keep it clean, basically. So that can be like care of the environment, like watering the plants or like vacuuming or sweeping or whatever. But it can also be putting the books back. Do they know where they go? And is it easy for them to do that independently? Or do they have to come to you to give you the book so that you can put it on the top shelf or whatever, you know? So you want to make things accessible. And you want there to be activities that the children like to do. And you want it to be something that they can maintain on their own. When my kids were little, they did have little chairs, like their little reading chairs. And they had a book basket on the floor that they were able to keep their books in. And and it's very important that we remember not to give them too much stuff. It's impossible for them to manage it and maintain it if it's so much. And it's really not that great for their development either because it can just be too overwhelming. If you just give them, you know, five or six books that they can really focus on for a while. And then when you notice that they're getting tired of those ones, then rotate them out. So it's good if you have like a storage place where you can have excess books or puzzles or arts and crafts or Legos or whatever it is that you have that your children enjoy doing in the family room. But you don't need it all out at the same time. You want to make it really manageable, like maybe three or four activities for each child and that they're able to like put those things away on their own. So maybe you do have some low shelves and like you have a basket of Legos and you have a basket of books and you have a basket with some paper and crayons in it and you have a basket with some cars. That's it. Then they're like what they know which basket their things go in and they know where it goes on the shelf. If we were in the Montessori classroom, they would know exactly where it goes on the shelf. But at home, it was just kind of like, you know, like the bottom shelf was our youngest and all of his things went on that shelf. And then the one above that was, you know, our oldest and all of her stuff went on that shelf. So you can make it really simple. It doesn't have to be like, this goes exactly in this spot. But if you have a general area where they can know that their baskets live in this place, these books go in that basket, these this paper for drawing goes on that tray, It's so good for their brain development to have that sense of order. They can just get straight to what they want to do. They're not going all around the house looking for the crayons. They know exactly where it is when they want to meet that need that they're having. And then they also know exactly how to put it away. And that gives them that sense of independence and confidence. Like they can do it all by themselves. 
And it's one less thing that you have to do as a parent. You have to put that extra work in up front to prepare everything and to teach them how to put it back and how the things go. But once you do that, then they can manage it independently. And that is really the ultimate goal. Yeah, you're hitting on so many things. Less is more. So only put out what you're willing to clean up or help them clean up. And everything has its place. That sense of order is really important in their development. And you've probably noticed if you're living with young ones, that development of impulse control. Well, this is one of those things that helps with that is having a sense of order. And then the storage and rotate, you know, you're going to have to use some of your observation skills, like see what is holding their interest and be ready to rotate things out when they need a new challenge. But certainly, you know, use of a floor to ceiling cupboard or a closet space or storage bins that you hide behind the couch like there are ways to make that work and pushing against the pressure to have the newest latest and greatest thing sometimes simple is best there's so much coming at them so quickly so giving them a space to really concentrate is one of the best gifts you can give them at this time I'm also thinking about you'll have to consider for your for your household and how your household is managed. Do you implement like a, a five minute tidy before dinner time? And that's when everybody, you know, puts in some teamwork to put things away. And you just because all these great strategies are in use doesn't mean that you show them once and they've got it. Megan hit hit on the fact that you're going to give them lessons and you're going to have to repeat on those lessons. And Maybe there's something such as like the the tidy up before dinner or you do it every time before bath or, you know, a specific song is sung or played. That is the cue that this is the activity that is happening and it kind of defines the time. You can also think about maybe for your house, it's like the cleanup doesn't happen with as such frequency. But on the other hand, you clean up the floor space and you can have the impromptu dance party or yoga session or whatnot, you know, depending on what what is happening in the household and what kinds of things you like to do together. Um, you're also, you can also play with that question of like, how much help do you give at cleanup time? Right? And you're going to adjust that based on the child's age and ability um, with toddlers and sometimes yeah and mood yeah choose your I battles mean, not, right choose your not battles all the time but you know right. there are days when you're it's not happening it's yeah. not worth like the big power struggle for to get through the one day if you're if, you know we all have those hard days absolutely so, you know give yourself a break give your child a break if it's just one of those days where you're just gonna pick up the crayons then that's okay yeah but, you know the general practice is that everyone puts their things away and it really does help to just stack it with the rest of your day like okay before we move on to this next part of our day we put things away that's how it goes in the classroom and it's so good for the brain I mean just think about how that feels for you to like finish something put it away and move on. So it's really such a gift to give to your child and just the structure of your day. It just helps the whole flow of your household go more smoothly. Yeah. And that, that idea of teamwork, it's, it's not just about the end product of having the tidy room. Like that's not really the point necessarily, but the collaborative spirit that you're fostering between parent and child. And, you know, and to, to Megan's point, like based on mood, it's okay to spell out for them. Like, I know this is something that you are capable of doing, and I can also see that today you're really tired or you're not feeling well, and I'm going to do it for you today. Or, you know, let them know. Let them know what's happening and that this is not an everyday thing. 
You're just, you see the need today. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, just while we're talking about this, because it happens a lot, you know, in the classroom too, where a child just doesn't want to do it. So I wouldn't let them completely off the hook. You know, it's not like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, I'm going to do it all for you. But you could be like, okay, how about, you know, I'll help you today because I see that you're really having a hard time. But you do the red ones or, you know, you pick up the ones on that side of the mat and I'll get these ones. You know, I mean, you can support them without just taking it over and doing it for them because we don't want them to receive the message like, oh, okay, if I throw a fit, right, (laughs) then then I'm not going to do it or that I won't have to do it. So I can be like, oh, I can help you. I see you're having a hard time, but still have them participate in some way, even if it's like they pick up one crayon and put it in. It's something to keep them involved so that when you go the next time, that hopefully they'll do more than one crayon. Exactly. I feel like built into that approach, it's just truly kind. It's just kind. Like not only are you teaching them skills for their future and how they'll interact with others, but you're you're extending some kindness and... I like that approach a lot. Another thing that you can think about is practical life skills. So a lot of times what when we think, think about practical life, it's like care of the environment. And a lot of times as adults, we think of these tasks as chores. So we think it seems strange <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah. someone might actually want to do it. But for the kids, they want to be just like you. So they see you sweeping, they see you, you know, cleaning the counters, they see you vacuuming and washing the windows and doing these things. So they want to do it too. So this is like the golden age, the first plane of development is the golden age of when the kids really actually do want to do those kinds of activities. Right. Start early. Yeah. (laughs) Such a great opportunity, like window washing, the spray bottle and some vinegar and water in there and a rag, vacuuming with a little handheld, whatever they're called. Dust buster. Yeah. 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 Dust buster. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Right. Swiffer. Or, no, um, no, no. Watering plants. Definitely awesome inside and out. I want to say about plants. I love watching children in the toddler environment. Um, we have these little teeny mitts that their fingers can fit on that have just, you know, been stitched with that microfiber cloth or whatnot. And You could even just use terry cloth, washcloth or something. And uh, you know what? You could even just use an old sock and cut off the toe part for their hand. And you show them how you place one hand under the leaf and lay the leaf on top and then dust off the leaf. And you can teach them, you know, the word gentle as they're doing that. And I have seen kids take such satisfaction. And they might only do one leaf. They might do the whole plant and ask you to turn it for them. But I have seen them take a lot of satisfaction in something like that. And to Megan's point earlier, like, yeah, it seems odd to us, but they can truly have this deep, you know, relaxation or satisfaction about it. And when Megan was saying, like, the, the kids want to be like us and do it, like, you are not starting this when they're 15 and they're rolling their eyes at you and they want nothing to do with any of this, right? Like, even if you do this with the young child, In teenage years, they might rebel against all of that. But the thing is, you have planted those seeds of collaboration and caregiving and teamwork, and they will come back around. They trust, trust it. They will come back around.
Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the practical life area of our classrooms, like that is where we start all of the children's activities that we always start in the practical life area. And it's because that's where they will find true concentration. They will get so involved in the water of the table washing or whatever. And it's not about washing the table. But it's about like following the steps and just like being engrossed in the activity itself, which is like the foundation for all of the activities that we do in the Montessori environment. So it's really, really crucial. And then, yeah, the five and six year old, they stop being as interested in just the activity itself. And really, it's more for like the utilitarian purpose of cleaning the table. But they have the skill then. So, yeah, my 15-year-old, she's not real excited if I ask her to wash the windows, but she knows how. Right. <laughs> and she can do it. Right. So she loved it when she was three. No, not so much. But, you know, she does know how. She's got the skill. And she is perfectly capable of contributing to our household in that way. For sure. And a little tip to throw out. If you've done some rearranging, you're making use of that living room space. If you find yourself saying no to your child a lot, that's a clue. You know, you want it to be a yes space, so to speak. So think about what you're having to say no to and what could you rearrange in a way that it becomes a yes space. So like I mentioned earlier, in in our living room, there's a record player. Well, that record player wasn't there when my children were, you know, one and two and three years old because we kept having to say, oh, no, 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 not that one. You know, it had to get removed for a while. Not the end of the world. It wasn't gone forever. It's back now. They know how to use it, and everybody feels comfortable with that. You know, things like that. Things can come and go. You can always rearrange as the need or development changes. Yeah. And there, I mean, there can also be a learning, I mean, not for records. Like, you don't want it to be something that's, like, going to get broken or ruined or damaged if your child plays with it. But, you know, there also can be things in the environment that are yours that you don't want your child to touch or to play with. And it's okay to say, you can play with the things on that shelf. This is for mommy. Right. You know, it's okay to to give them those boundaries of like, this is for mom and dad, or this is for a sister or whatever. These are for you. So you can tell them what they can do. You can play with the things that are on your shelf, but this is for my hands Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, so there are definitely things that you're going to need to remove during different stages, but it's also okay to just tell them, oh, that's just for me. You can play with your things. Those are, that's down here or whatever. And also sometimes like one of the things for us was the kids just playing with the remotes because they just (laughs) wanted to. Yeah. (laughs) And so we're like looking at, well, what is it that they're trying to do? Like they just want to like push the buttons. They don't actually want to like turn anything on or turn it off. They're not trying to use it for the like functional person purpose that we use it for is more just the sensorial aspect of what does it do you know so we were able to like bring in some different things that had buttons that they could push so it's like oh those are for mom and dad you can do these things so if you can kind of identify what what it is that they are trying to get from the experience like if, are they trying to like t- turn the knob because they're like interested in that turning action i mean it's not that they're trying to break your things you know so if you can kind of identify what it is is that they're trying to do, then you can find other things to replace it with so that you can say, oh, that's for our hands, but you can use this other thing. Yeah, I'm so so glad you brought that up. Uh, If you are raising an only child at this time, you know, please do that. That's your space too, right? And they need to 
they will only, you know, be benefited from the fact that they are learning the, you know, the difference between those things and having people set clear boundaries. And then should you have a sibling in the picture, whether that's current or in the future, that's a huge benefit. Some other tools you might use with siblings include having easy to roll mats within your space that maybe live in a basket or a shelf or something. And those mats can get laid out on the living room floor. Work can go there. And it helps an older sibling be able to say to a younger one, you know, this is my space. This is my work. Those kinds of things. It helps uh, give a visual to that younger child of this work's not available right now. Um, Even if you have... um, you know, let's say you have a newborn and you want to be able to put out a blanket and lay the newborn down for some tummy time. You know, you can teach a child as you know, young as one and a half who's a new toddler to like walk around that blanket. You could even use it for your pet. Walk around the blanket. You can train the dog not to step on the blanket. You know, like there are ways that you can work with visual cues that allow the, the child to, you know, understand what's available to them at a given time or not. Um with siblings, it also makes me think about sometimes those older siblings need a little privacy. So within these spaces, you know, how could you offer that? And maybe it's as simple as building them a little fort for a while that they can cozy into and you teach the other one not to go in. Um, But this is where you get playful with, you know, how does this space reflect everybody who lives in the house? And how do you teach those youngest kids, you know, what is available to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back to the rug, I mean, this is how we identify our activity space in the classroom. So it's definitely, I mean, something that they are used to if your child is in the Montessori environment. And if you have an Ikea anywhere near you, then it, you can usually find the woven rugs or even there's there's a variety of rugs that you could roll up and keep in a corner and that you could get like two different colors. So once for each child. So it's like, this is my space. This is your space. That's what they're used to in the classroom. And it definitely can be applied at home. For sure. One, one thing that's on my mind also, as we sort of wrap this up here, is the question about safety. So you could ask yourself a few questions around, you know, are the tall shelves anchored to the wall in case you have a climber? Are electrical cords and sockets handled in a way that's going to help you feel okay to, you know, turn your eyes from your child in that space for a moment or two? You could block them off with a piece of furniture or, you know, get the plugs, cover-ups, those kinds of things. If you have blinds, or curtains with some kind of cord. You want to pay attention to how low is that cord. Maybe this room is not on a ground floor and you want to pay attention to window locks. Those are some questions you could ask yourself around safety within that room. Yeah, another thing to consider is the plants that you have. You can do a quick Google search and see if your plant might be poisonous, Um, especially if you have a toddler that's mouthing a lot of things good to make sure that you don't have poisonous plants for your pets too (gasps) always a good tip (laughs) okay so you're just going to identify the things you want to do in the space we didn't talk a lot about 
TV because, I mean, we assume that most households do have some sort of screen in their family room or living room. You know, we're going to advocate for you to have that on as minimally as possible because your child is just going to have better brain development if they're doing things that are actually in the environment that they can engage with and touch and interact with. But no judgment, just putting that out there. We'll do a whole episode about screen time and things like that. But just know that there's no need to just have it on in the background. When you're preparing the environment, try to focus on the things that you want to be doing other than watching TV when you're in the family room. Right. A tip there is you can think about how are their hands going to be engaged, right? And if their hands are engaged, you know that it's going to have a higher benefit for your kiddo. All right. So just to wrap it up, please just take some time. Maybe this weekend you can carve out some time to just sit on the floor in your family room and look around and think about what kind of activities are being done in that room and, and, or you want to be done. Maybe right now no one's doing art, but it's because there's no art activities out and you would really like to add that into your home environment, or you would like to have some instruments that were being played. So maybe you put those out. A lot of times just putting it out is enough to inspire that kind of activity. So architect your environment, prepare, think about what you want, think about how to make it accessible, think about how they can clean it up. You've heard that question around nature versus nurture, and we know it's both when it comes to human development. The prepared environment is an area to focus on when you lean into the nurture part of that equation. Absorption and knowledge of the environment are learned through one's senses, and the youngest child, prenatal until about age five or six, incarnates their first environments those environments get woven into the child's being. So consideration of what messages those environments give to a child are highly valuable. Advertisers and marketers, they're gonna do all they can to convince you of the latest must-haves. And yet, for the first few years of life, simplicity, beauty, order, loving attention to detail by the adults who love them, that's what the child needs more than all the stuff. So you're invited to give these ideas some thought, experiment where you can within your home as you look at things from your child's point of view, give something new a try, take some time to watch what happens, and of course revisit it if it's not working for you or your kid or whoever else you share the house with. Then go ahead and jump on the Raising Reciprocity Facebook or Instagram page and share your findings. Thanks, y'all. It's time for you to hit the subscribe button, and we want to thank you for listening. See you soon.